Hi, I'm Sadek. And I am Christian. And this is episode 49 of Shades of Brown. We're back after, what, like a week? Uh, It'd be like two weeks for people listening, but it's a week for us because of how the production delays are. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I I got very sick. (laughs) I was dead for like the past week. So apologies about that. But we are in in full swing, you know. um, Now that CES is over... uh, actual tech news is coming out and not you know like robots that fuck and will never be released and huge ass oled displays like actual news um and the first one is sort of uh not really news isn't more like sort of uh what what kind of piece it's more like an investigative sort of uh piece it's about uh, how wechat uh came to rule china wechat if for people who don't who don't know is 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 the is a messaging service among other things. Uh, it does all sorts of uh, stuff, and it's it's basically the app. Uh, if you're in in China, it's basically a social network, and it's basically banking. It's basically everything. So, Christian, you want to talk about this a little bit? This, this piece was prompted because WeChat, um, in partnership with the Chinese government and government, announced that you could start to use uh, virtual government-issued IDs in WeChat, right? Like, you'd be able, like, so um, say you're going to, I don't know, the library, right? And you have to, like, show your ID to get into the library or you're going to a government office to do taxes or, like, a DMV or whatever. And you can just use WeChat now at places that would be piloting this program and would be accepting virtual IDs, which is very, very spooky. Like, so to be clear, I don't think a digital ID is a bad idea. I just happen to think that a digital ID, which is centralized, um, running on closed source software and completely in control of the government itself is a terrible idea. But uh, what, what this piece is positing, right, is that WeChat has just really overtaken itself as the most dominant force in China since you can you can write, um, I think it's QR codes that WeChat uses for payments. It is yeah, NFC yeah. payments. Yeah, it's you NFC would, payments. No, no, it's not NFC. It's a QR NFC, code. Yeah, it's a barcode. So related. you would go like to a store and then you would scan um, the bar, the QR code with your phone and then the payment would be issued that way. Which is really an interesting way of getting around having a bunch of like uh, cheap Android phones that might not ship with the uh, hardware. Right? Because even if you have NFC, you still need a, a, a I think it's a second chip to do uh, mobile payments. payments. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, using QR code definitely steps around that. But so WeChat's dominance uh, is obviously aided by the government here. Uh, they blocked uh, Facebook Messenger in t- 2009. Uh, they blocked uh, the South Korean-owned uh, Line in in 2015, and WhatsApp was banned last year. So there's there's nothing else like in the market that uh, in in, chi- in China that competes with. Uh, WeChat, so basically they are they just dominated just because they're the only player in town. Uh, and it's just like people talk. There's a bunch of interviews with uh, a lot, former Chinese residents, uh, and they were like, "It's becoming harder and harder to not use WeChat. Like, it's so many things use WeChat in China that it's just like sort of like a, more like a cultural backbone than it's like a messaging service." I guess we, we should say, right, we are people living in the West. I live in America. Static lives in Canada, right? Think, I, I guess if you're if you've grown up in a culture where everyone is using this one service and it is just the de facto way, right? Like, so think of it like this, right? 
the, I think something similar exists in uh, America and Canada, the Postal Service, right? Like, it's not, there has never been competing postal services. You have competing shipment services, right? Like USPS, or not USPS, my bad, UPS, FedEx, those companies. But if you want to send a letter to someone, you're going to send it through USPS or whatever the Canadian Postal Service Can- is called. Canada Post. Yeah, you're going to send it through Canada Post. It's 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 a government, uh, uh, it's, it's a crown corporation, which, which are like a special type of corporation that don't really exist anymore. But uh, the Canada Post is probably one of the few last remaining ones. Uh, so yeah, it's it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, Fully centralized, it's fully controlled, uh, managed by the government. It's paid uh, paid for with taxes and whatnot. Uh, so that's basically what WeChat is, I think, at this point. Like it's just like a government service. Like that is that, that's basically what it is, right? Which is interesting, right? Since you know we we take the view that some things should be you know nationalized and not privatized. So it, there's like a, there's like a discussion to be had, right? If Take take back the fact that the censors exist, right, and that the government likely has access to every single message. But is is the idea of a nationalized chat service actually bad? Because it's there's an analog example of this that already exists and it existed for hundreds of years. Like I I'm pretty sure Canada's postal service has been around for more than at least like 100 or 200 years. Yeah, as I mean well, definitely. Right? But the thing the thing here is that uh, obviously the concerns are obviously about. Uh, Human rights, uh, uh, free expression, uh, censorship, and uh, you know, using the tying it with your government ID just means that it's just like extre- like you need a WeChat, you need a government ID to sign up for WeChat. Like that's like if you're in China, you need a government ID to sign up for. So there's no anonymous sign up for WeChat in the first place. So that already is out of the bag. Uh, so I mean, it is good in some ways, but it's also like uh sort of creepy like it's extremely creepy actually it's it's actually very creepy uh and wechat as far as we know doesn't doesn't provide any sort of uh end to end encryption and uh, they retain basically everything uh and will obviously be cooperating with the chinese government when they come knocking so that and right in the profile that wechat has is so much stronger than facebook um because facebook right oh only offers end to end encryption if you were to so you have to select it in the app right and it's a separate mode. It's not by default, like wire or signal is. But but more importantly, no, you can do payments in Facebook Messenger, but no one does it, right? But if everyone, if you have chat messages, you have payments, you have location logs from sending people your locations, like those three alone, that's that's a huge amount of data on every citizen in nearly every citizen, right, who has a cell phone in the whole entire country. That. I think that's scarier than the censorship stuff because at, the, at least the censorship that's overt. That that's an overt. People know when a website's blocked, right? Because it will tell you this website has been blocked. But that data collection, it is it's a black box. What what do they do with that data, right? Yeah, it's passive. It's in the background, and you don't really know what's going on with it. Um, how, like how long is that data kept? Probably forever. Uh, and like, what sort of profile does that is that building of you? Like that's that's the thing, right? uh that's the concern um i mean so that's the wechat story i don't know if you have anything else to say well i think we have we have like one one note of caution right because this is what facebook's trying to build like facebook has not overtly said it but with what the features are building in right there's games in facebook messengers they have those bots um they have stories now right like they have a fake a pseudo soda feed in facebook messenger 
I think Snapchat as well. Snapchat is Snapcash and all of that fancy stuff. Uh, so I, I don't think that for uh, for other reasons, right? Just for the fact of how computing is distributed in, in in Western countries, I don't think that this would overtake as like the primary app that people use. Right. It, it, I mean, it, it, this like obviously the key factor is the cooperation of the government, right? Uh, I mean, the government giving it subsidies or whatever and, like, you know, actively banning the competition. Uh, so it's like, it's if you don't have that sort of government assistance, I feel like, yeah, it's not, not going to happen anytime soon. But, you know, it's definitely like Western companies are not beyond uh, trying stuff like this or attempting to do stuff like this. I'm sure Facebook would love to do a national ID system. Uh, that 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 would probably be in Facebook's interest to do. So. Well, it would lock in your social graph and all that stuff even more, right? You'd literally be locked into Facebook at that point. So I I I don't think it's going to happen in Western countries, but I think that Facebook or in Snapchat and other chat companies. Oh my god! Imagine if Discord did this. Oh god! No. <laughs> A national ID for gamers. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. god uh, but right <laughs> if other companies try to do this i this is like the strongest case for decentralized services i think that we have right now right like even even less so than social media because in a centralized sort of or decentralized rather in a federated chat system uh ideally what xmpp once was before it just kind of became the hot mess it is today like this can never actually happen and now granted now granted you wouldn't have the ability to do some of these fun things right like because let's this is hella convenient this is really fucking convenient to have one app that does everything but um it, it's about friction right like that having the friction of having different sets of uh different logins right different profiles of yourself even different identities that you use that makes it much harder for someone to go ahead and control all of of someone's data right if they have it compartmentalized yeah, in different places like, yeah just that comp- uh, that, that's a hard word to say compartmentalization uh is important i think the ad it's not like facebook is already trying it like as you mentioned it's just a matter of time uh i hope nobody makes me use facebook pay because i'm just i'm just throwing my fucking phone out the window uh but speaking of phones segue to uh that was a bad segue but we we, we'll keep rolling with it keep rolling with the next story uh, (laughs) uh, next story uh apple uh this is a scoop uh from axios uh apple delays uh ios features to focus on reliability and performance uh so i mean this article yeah, so this article, the gist of it is basically that Apple is uh, shaking up its iOS software plans for 2018, you know, delaying features to get uh, get performance and quality uh, quality of life stuff uh, out of the way. And, like, I mean, sure, like, I don't think iOS 11, I mean, we mentioned this before, I don't think uh, people have been saying that iOS 11 is, is very buggy. Uh, and it's it's sort of unstable, uh, and I haven't noticed this, but you know, like that's that's. Just I think the- it's about perceived bugginess, right, versus actual bugginess. Because so, like I've said before on the pod, I also haven't been buggy for me. Now with eleven point three or eleven point two point five or eleven point three, whichever one we're at right now, um, 
it has been fine. I have not had that many issues. I haven't had to reboot my phone as often, right? But it's about the perceived bugginess, right? And I think this is a problem that, right, that, that like, is more of computing. It's because of, like, there's so many moving pieces in, in how we use computers nowadays that people think that their devices are less reliable, and they are in a certain sense, right? Like, does... Are crash rates on Mac OS and Windows 10 going down, according to Apple and Microsoft, right? According to our PR departments, yes, measurable crashes are, but there are some bad user experiences you can't measure. Like, say, for example, Apple Watch Unlock, right? If I open my laptop and that just hangs for a minute, then it's, that's, a, that's not working for me, right? Um, okay. Okay. So yeah, let, me, let me tell you about a bad UX. It's related to the Apple Watch that you just mentioned. Um, so... Uh, if your watch is off your wrist, right, uh, say it's sitting on the charger and you have the Apple Watch unlock enabled, it takes like a good 10 seconds before before macOS realizes that uh, the watch is locked and so it cannot no, no longer be used for unlock. Uh, and then it prompts you for the password. And now, and now I, in the background of my head, I know why this is happening, like because it's like talking to the watch, right? Like it's talking over Wi-Fi uh, to the watch, uh, and that, that there's some obviously some latency and some processing delay involved there, but it still feels like it's slow and buggy, right? It's not like it's actually buggy; it's working as intended, but it's uh, it's still slow. And for some people, I think this feature is also just buggy in general. But I don't think that's uh, it has to do with more their Wi-Fi quality than it has to do with the actual software, but. That's, uh... But that's the problem, right? Like the fact that you have to worry about your Wi-Fi quality. Like, yes, are are the routers most comp- people have shit? Yes, like uh, they're shit. But the you have to build for those constraints. It's a UX problem. I I literally I think at this point it's more of a UX problem than it is an engineering problem. What what do people complain about? Their phones are hard to use. Why are they hard to use? Because it just doesn't work, right? Like that's sort of the response you get from folks. Well, why doesn't work? Because you have flat design, you have abstract icons, and you have UI paradigms that make sense once it's explained to you rather than once once you look at it right like there's this rss reader i use called unread i love it it's a great app but when you open it there are no buttons the only way you move around in the app is by tapping icons that don't have any sort of um, rigidity to them right like they don't look like buttons it's completely flat there's like thin lines that that will show you if something is tappable and you have to do gestures pulling off-screen elements onto screen, elements that were never shown to be on screen to begin with. And it's, you know, I might, I might be walking back. I used to say Snapchat is a good example of explorative design, but I think the problem is that people don't want to explore their phones, right? Because for better or worse, with at least in places like America and Canada where desktop PCs were a thing, right? And people use that. Because of Microsoft, people learned that your computer will fuck you over if you hit the wrong button, right? Like back in like Windows XP and Vista days, right? Like that might not be true of modern Windows. And I actually think modern Windows is really good. But in older days, software was more of like, you need to do it the way the programmer intended it to be done or else you will, something will go wrong. You'll lose data or you'll generally have a frustrating experience. And so now we're taking, we're designers are taking for granted the fact that they assume that people know how to use the basics so they can play with it right like it's like in a game right like after you have the tutorial the game just assumes that you know how to play it yeah so it's not going to keep showing you the basics and it's gonna say like okay if you do like a dodge roll while shooting it'll do a special move right but 
you can't do that with software. You have to have it obvious all the time, which is part of the reason why I, I think um, desktop OS is like Windows might actually, modern Windows at the very least, might be the most user-friendly in terms of just like, this is a computer. I, I don't use computers much, but I should be able to figure out what to do. Because what Microsoft does, it is clutter, right? Like if you are like me and you are a fan of Scandinavian design, with like super minimalist fonts and all that shit. The fact that every button on Windows for the most part, like in the Explorer, for example, has like the name of what it does right under it just seems like clutter. But Gmail used to have this option. I don't know if they have it anymore where it would have the icons, right? For that were supposed to be the buttons, but it have the word next to it. And it's those things that designers are like, okay, everyone knows this flap icon means the inbox, right? So we don't have to add the word to it. And it's like, the, does everyone know that? Is 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 the tech literacy that high? And more importantly, should we expect tech literacy to be that high, right? Like, should should the normal person just start using Snapchat and get it? Or should Snapchat actually explain itself? And I think that's a huge part of this, right? Like iOS right now designed where if, okay, the home screen makes sense. It's a grid of icons and you swipe left and right. And outside of that, you open mail and you have this little carrot icon to open a hamburger menu. You have... um some other icons that just don't explain themselves. And I don't know if that's the right way to do it. I think we should just accept the compromise that having abstracted out icons by themselves are maybe not the best way to go forward and just add more text. Yeah, the thing with, uh, I think the thing with abstracted icons on mobile devices is, is to do with the constraint uh, of space, right? Uh, having text is, is fine, but it's that it takes up a lot of space on, on devices that are, you know, fairly small still like even with uh even with even with the display sizes that we have on phones now it's, it's having text everywhere would be uh would be would be very like it's it's not going to happen it's going to be very uh space expensive but what what i think is gone is the uh everything in ios is basically flat right it's not there's no like texture to it, like it was back in the what, like the back in the iPod Touch. They're back in the iOS six days, right? I, iPod Touch second generation, maybe I, I don't remember, but it's been a while. But back in the day when iOS had a lot of skeuomorphic uh, design elements, uh, and, and I know everybody loves their iBooks with you know brown and uh, weird leather uh, colored UIs and whatnot, but I feel like that that texture I feel is is important a little bit. Uh, well it's 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 not about the texture right it's more about just the um it's about the z-axis right like we've talked about this before <laughs> yeah we if, have <laughs> if your app doesn't have a z-axis and you know what i i you can find an older episode of shades of brown where i go about how i love windows phone but at the end of the day <laughs> windows phone was hard to use right like as much as i want to say flat design is great you need and material design is not the answer here don't at me i don't want to have that discourse <laughs> But you need to have, it's not even about drop shadows, right? It's about, you need to have some sort of Z-axis for the most important UI elements. And you also can't have icons sort of hugging the corners of your apps, right? Because if you take an app like TweetBot, I feel like the new TweetBot is always an afterthought because it's in the top right corner. And if you have a device that's four inches, five inches, that top right corner is hard to reach. Like Amarok does it right because Amarok has everything in the bottom bar. And at the top, you just have a search button, which is probably like no one really searches on Mastodon that much. Like I'm willing to bet that's not a feature that many people use. Um, and so you have the most important elements at the bottom of the screen. Uh, all of the icons for um, each action, like the fave, reply, 
uh, and, and get more. They're right. They're in each one. It's not like we're Tweetbot. You have to tap it and then the actions show up, which you know what looks cleaner. Like Tweetbot looks cleaner than Amarok, but I, you have to, we, I think we just have to accept the compromise that, you know, we have limited screen space and you know what things might be a little bit more cluttered, but it increases usability. When, when, when something is obviously shown in someone's faces, it increases usability. And as a callback to the first episode of this podcast, where uh, we talked about why hamburger menus are bad. (laughs) As I said, when I was 18 years old, three years ago, if you have too many options in your app where you need to put it into a hamburger menu, maybe one app is the problem, right? Like if you have, if you, if you need to have like 10 different contexts for using your app, maybe break it out into separate apps because this is just cognitive overload, right? Like it. People are using their phones. They hit buttons. They don't work. You have shitty voice assistants like Siri and Google that where everyone's saying in the marketing that it's real AI, but you ask it something and all you get is, oh, I can't do that. Or sorry, this isn't working as it's intended. You're having really bad contact uh, um, feature failures like the Apple Watch unlock, right? And things just generally don't work. Now, none of that, right? No software is crashing. No, no, mail doesn't crash on iOS. Apps don't crash on iOS. but when the app doesn't do what you expected it to do that is a problem with the designers of the application that is a and engineering this is what upsets me about this right because craig is like okay we're gonna engineer it to where things are more reliable and it works better on older devices you know great like making ios new versions run better on older devices is a good engineering effort that i support but what apple really needs to do if they want to make this better is that they need to rethink how they design their applications from the bottom up right it's not just one release you're going to focus on stability it is from now on all of our new apps are going to be designed in a way that makes sense and removes ambiguity and is as clear as we can possibly make it because which is not going to happen right no it's not it's not but that's the fix for it the fix for it is to just make applications that might be more cluttered and might not be as minimalist but you know what like who gives a fuck because it's it's about usability man it's just about making things more obvious it's about not using bad colors it's about making text bolder you yeah the text bolding thing is really a bit <sighs> ios i mean ios typography is has improved a lot i mean it's it's much it's much nicer now but some of those thin fonts are a bit you know too thin like what i'm gonna do this chapter art for this what uh for this um chapter in the podcast is going to be a screenshot of audio hijack the application i use and static uses on his mac whenever he uses his mac to record audio because we've talked about it before but i just i, I want to bring it back up again because this application that you can tell what a button is and you know and it's flat too right it has that quote-unquote flat design that people like but you can tell um so maybe the record button we can there can be an argument to be made that we're having a word that says record next to it but it looks like the record button on every like physical audio interface from the past e- like a hundred years, 50, 50 years. Yeah. It's like, yeah. uh, I mean that red record, that red button, it's like pretty obvious what it does. I think it's because it's, it's been around for so long. I feel like it's a common enough, uh, design choice. Uh, but yeah, audio hijack is just like, you launch the app. It's immediately obvious what stuff does. Like you can put stuff together. It like does things. It's like, it feels very, uh, tactile. I think the word I'm looking for, yeah, it's tactile. It feels like uh, it feels responsive. It feels tactile. I think those are the two words 
uh, and it's it's immediately intuitive as to what what things like what 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 does uh, dragging this effect do? What does what does record? How do you record from your microphone? Oh, you just drag and drop the audio input for your microphone. Uh, that's that's all. That is like I feel like Audio Hijack it doesn't get enough uh, credit for that. I feel like it's it's really some very clever design. And it's you know, I I don't I think I think this would honestly this this was probably going to start with third party developers. I think that they should be the ones to say you know what fuck Apple's design guidelines, fuck Microsoft's design guidelines. And we should just give more, give more context and give more details, right? I mean, sure, but the problem is that 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 involves moving away from using what UI kit. What is what no, is no, it no. you can do it with UI kit because so, um, look at there's a Telegram for iOS. What they have, you know, how iOS right at bottom navigation, it's each tab is separated by a thin line. You can have text there. You can add like a text that says. So say you have like an envelope for like new messages. You can add the word new messages to the bottom of that with a storyboard. Like you don't have to do like fancy hacks on top of UI kit to do that. Right. So I think it's just more of that, more of just adding text and adding details. You know, that probably makes localization a lot harder. It makes other things harder, but what's the benefit is that people are going to be less confused using your app. And that's the most important thing. Assuming that interfaces are going to be intuitive is, I guess you can, you can just assume. Right, but like we're talking about audio hijack. There's only one, one icon in the entire app that assumes that you have the 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 cultural context to know what that means, and everything else there are words to explain it. The button that gets you to recordings has the word recordings under it. The button to view uh, more options has the word view options under it, and it doesn't make the app any like. It's not a worse off app for it. It doesn't look like it's cluttered or the design of it is worse. It's not compromised at all. So I I know I've been ranting for the past like 20 minutes. But, you know, it's one, having iOS Snow Leopard means shit. This, this, you need to rethink about how you make software and how software should work. Mm. Yeah, so speaking of software and how software should work, uh, Windows Telemetry uh, I know how I know people like to complain about Windows 10, Windows 10 sending telemetry to Microsoft, <laughs> but so when Microsoft is just like, hey, uh, you guys, you guys don't like telemetry. How about how about you just like see the telemetry in fucking JSON? Like, why not? Uh, because because we're not gonna give you a tool to interpret it because that that would be too much work. Uh, so you're just gonna have a fancy JSON viewer. Uh, so yeah, this is uh. This is like a diagnostic, it's called Windows Diagnostic Data Viewer. It just like has the various telemetry stuff that uh, Windows 10 sends. Um, just it's it's all there just in in this in JSON format uh, without any way to understand what, what's going on. Like what, what does the, what does the data actually mean? Uh, or what, what is the what, what how much are you actually sending and how much is like, you know, dependent on your settings and whatnot. Yeah, like uh, for example, there is census.hardware which is a diagnostic you can view um in brackets you have cv with random text cv again with random text and then i key with a string of about 30 random characters and that is data that is being sent to uh microsoft and you know there's a there's a little bracket that says metadata and you could stuff like digitizer support too active mic count too gyroscope 
Seven. What the fuck does gyroscope seven mean, right? Seven? What does that... <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't understand what that means. Uh, like, magnetometer seven. Like, what? Like, what does that actually mean? Like, in the NFC proximity seven. What do... do uh, these are called uh, magic numbers. Uh, it's like a programming concept. Uh, and without, like, a reference document for these, like, you have no idea what these actually, like, like mean in the back end, right? Like, what does seven mean? What does two mean? Uh, it's like nothing. Nothing will make sense. Like you, you can look at this data, but like, what are you gonna do with it? Like it's 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 just kind of useless, right? Uh, so I mean, also if you go if if you have an iPhone and you go to privacy, uh, analytics, and you have share analytics on with Apple, you can actually see the same sort of magic number dump from um from your iPhone that's sent to Apple, and they both are bullshit because they mean nothing, and they're just way they're way of obfuscating like what is actually being sent. Because okay, so I know me and Saturn are just making fun of this. Like me, me and him, we could probably figure out what gyroscope yeah. seven means, right? There's probably like um, I mean, you could probably infer seven. Seven probably and yeah, like seven probably indicates some form of gyroscope support or what sort of gyroscope hardware you have. And like active mic count too. They're probably saying there's like two microphones on the on the device itself, but that means nothing to like a regular person who doesn't know a little bit of programming, right? And it, it's some of the stuff that because you don't know what it means, it could be misleading, right? Like it could say something that you you think it means something, but it doesn't actually mean that, right? It's like it just causes more confusion. And I feel like Microsoft doesn't need more bad PR and confusion when it comes to the telemetry stuff. It's like they have already had enough. Uh, I feel like enough PR over that. Uh, they should just like you know maybe release like maybe release like some documentation about what what this all means like uh like a page on microsoft.com like technet page on microsoft.com uh just explaining all this stuff or you uh, know just let people turn it off now i understand why right it's the whole entire like windows is a service you can do that but i mean if Apple, Mac OS is a service, but I don't have any analytics on. I've never had analytics on. I don't send any of that data to Apple. I don't send it to third-party developers because I don't want them to have it. And you know what? Like, I understand that that makes diagnosing or like fixing bugs a lot harder, but okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's 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 the choice, right? That's the thing. Like, that's the people I think that's the thing people are mad about and have been mad about since the beginning is that it's it's not that it's not about the telemetry being sent uh like the telemetry data itself i feel like people have more concern that it's it's being it's being done like without an off button right you can't turn it off the lowest lowest setting you can turn it off is basic on non enterprise SKUs, right so enterprise if you if you want to turn it off the only way to do it is you have to buy a windows 10 enterprise um, and that's not actually very easy to do it's uh you have to buy like a minimum of 10 licenses for windows 10 enterprise i think that's that's how it works but uh yeah like you can't turn it off unless you have the enterprise version which is you know it feels like the microsoft is big an asshole and it's just like no you can't turn it off it's it's as we can just could now you just turn it down to basic uh, and you know it's going to be there and I mean, it's just uh, just for fairness, um, Google isn't any better. Even if you turn off like location services, they're still collecting some kind of location data and other things from you. So uh, I, Apple probably too. Apple probably, even though I have like analytics turned off, there's probably like some stuff that's being still sent. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Apple, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're using Apple's location services, uh, I mean, there is some data exchange there. But other than that, I don't think Apple collects much, a lot of 
I mean, they probably collect analytics on like what OS version you're running. I mean, but that's pretty. And there's also, um, actually, I found this out the other day. Um, if you go to location settings, there's a whole separate part for like Apple Maps analytics. And even if you turn off system analytics, the Apple Maps one still stays on. So just a note for iOS users, if you want to opt out for that entirely, you go to settings, privacy, location, and then system location settings. And then there should be some other toggles for uh, some system apps and stuff that Apple deems to be a, to not be uh, applied to or applicable by the other toggle. I, I don't think data collection when it's opt-in is a problem, but the problem being is that there's no way to take it out. There's no way to stop it. And I mean, Apple does it too, right? If you ever use their express setup options for like iOS, macOS, it basically turns a bunch of toggles on. And I get it, right? Like having it's useful, but I don't know. Like, and and there's an argument to be made, right? That honestly, them getting like, a hardware count or like battery statistics from us maybe isn't that terrible but it's it's when it's it's when like we're talking about the wechat right it's when data's combined that things become start to become scary right it's also it's also the principle of the thing i think it's is uh it's being it's 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 your device doing something you don't want it to do without your consent right it's like uh it's like a lack of control. Like this is this has always been like a lack of control. If you you feel like you're not in control of of your own computer, right? And that is that is the key frustration. I feel like with with all sorts of this telemetry stuff, um, it's, it, you feel like you 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 have to resort to third party utilities to block this. Like it's that's not that's not how it should be. Uh, yeah. So that's. That's like the theme of the show, isn't it, right? The theme of this episode, right? Is that people just don't control their computers and that's why they're mad because they feel like the devices yeah, are trying to control them. The, the, like the devices know better, right? Like the, the, the developers of the devices are making the decisions, uh, not you. Yeah, you got to uh, 2018, put, take, take control back, install Gen 2. <laughs> you leave. Please. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh my fucking god! No, don't install Gen Two. It's just a fucking waste of power. Uh, just just install Ubuntu if you're going to use Linux, but uh, that's another discourse entirely. Uh, moving on. Uh, speaking of uh, more Microsoft things, uh, services too. Microsoft and services. Microsoft services. Uh, Xbox Game Pass uh, will feature uh, Xbox exclusives on on the day of the launch. So that's, I mean, pretty cool. It's gonna uh, start with. It's CFDs. also on PC too. We gotta say yeah. that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's using play. I guess play anywhere is applied to this, uh, and so it's gonna start with Sea of Thieves, which is gonna be released in uh, March. I mean, I don't really use the Xbox One, but like the the games that are like you know like crossplay and uh, play anywhere titles, right? Uh, I feel like this is a good value if you if you like those Microsoft games that are like like uh, play anywhere. Well, and um, also if you use the Windows Store, which is good. that's like a huge thing about it too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I only use it for like one thing, which is Forza. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I don't really use the Windows Store. So, well, I think this is interesting, right? Because it um, it abstracts out sales from games, right? Like, so say most people who play the ne- the new Halo game, the next Halo game, only do it through the Games Pass. How, how is success for that game measured? Does this and uh, and also does it make it more palatable for loot boxes to be in games if you aren't paying sixty dollars and you just have a ten dollar um, all you can eat fee, right? Like if you have a Netflix thing, does does that mean that companies are going to start like say like 
Ubisoft has Ubisoft Games Pass, where instead of paying Ubisoft 60 bucks per game, they just have a $10 flat fee. You get every Assassin's Creed game, every new game, but each game has loot boxes. Does that make that business practice, right? Does that, does that, so is it still pay to, uh, pay to fee? Whatever, whatever, whatever freaking Jim Sterling called it. Fee to pay. There, fee to pay. There you go. Is it still that if you're just paying for an all a card service that happens to have the game in it? See, see, the thing is, the, the difference between between the game pass and buying the game is, is you don't own the game, right? Like in whatever sense owning means in this this digital sort of uh, game environment, um, you don't own the title, right? You own a temporary. You're renting a temporary license, right? So I feel like people would be more palatable to for 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 with with loot boxes in that model as well. Uh, I mean I mean it's, they're gonna do it. They're gonna have loot boxes whether it's gonna be like AAA in the game industry has no limit to their fucking greed. But uh that's I think I feel like we're kind of off topic. I feel like we don't wanna go down that road again. Yeah, but uh yeah, there's probably have loot boxes, but I just want to bring that up because I think I think how we look at games starts to change when we see them more as a service rather than like an individual product per se. This is like Netflix, right? Like if like Netflix, you watch an episode of a show and then you're like, okay, this isn't for me. But now games pass, you just start playing a game, you play the first level and it removes that feeling right of having a huge ass steam backlog because the games are cheap or whatever but you you still bought them right yeah you still bought them so it, it encourages people to try out more games but at the same time it it, it just I, I feel like it changes how we think about ownership and all that and um see so you don't own the games and microsoft will remove games like metal gear solid 5 is recently removed from games pass rip i didn't even get to play it <laughs> Exactly. So it's like you 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 have a temporary license, and that that license is also beholden to the game publishers themselves, right? Because the game publishers will have to decide if, if their game is gonna be on these uh, rental services. Is, is what they are, right? Like if if it's, it's it's the same situation you have with streaming services, right? The music streaming services, uh, where the content just disappears, right? Because there, there was like a problem with the with the record label, or if it's in the case of. Uh, Netflix, just TV shows, entire TV shows just disappear, uh, uh, like from one week to the next because there, there was uh, the, the contract was not renewed with the with the company, right? That that uh, that produces the show. So it's like that's that's how it's gonna be. Like like that's it. Just it's like the model already exists, just not in games yet. I feel like it's the games is the new one here, uh, sort of the new kid on the block when this comes to this business model. So we're, we're gonna have to see how how this works out. I think there's some upsides to it though, right? Yeah. Because it, it gives I I think it gives Microsoft the leeway to fund more weird ideas. Because think of it like this, right? If if every Microsoft game or Microsoft first party dev now is based off of like how many people tried out their game, right, rather than bought it, that changes how you sort of budget out the the development cycle and all that, right? So Microsoft may be willing to say, okay, so even if 343 makes this weird game about like fucking aliens and no one likes it. <laughs> we still we still make enough money on Games Pass subscriptions for people playing Gears of War, right? Where it doesn't matter. It's like how Netflix does it, right? Netflix is like, regardless, you're still paying for Netflix. So even if we pay like a couple million to have this one show idea and it doesn't work out, it's not going to like tank a studio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they feel like they'll have more chances to play around with various games. But 
Yeah, three four three. Please make a game where you fuck aliens because that sounds uh, interesting. Oh, lacrosse play, and in oh, VR, <laughs> room tracking, room scale, room scale fucking aliens, and um, then like, and then you can like RP as another alien. You know, where do I pre-order three four three? Where do I pre-order? Uh, today we found out Zach's thirsty for aliens. <laughs> I mean. Have you played Mass Effect Andromeda? Like, yes, I have. And oh my god, I'm almost done with it. Update, fine. update on Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm almost done with it. Because uh, for better or worse, I keep getting sucked into Destiny 2. Don't at me. <sighs> yeah, speaking of you know video games, our next topic, uh, hot, hot, hot news from uh, a couple of days. Uh, Diva, uh, Diva's pro gamer past, you know, just got a clarification. Uh, it turns out Diva isn't the best at StarCraft, uh, contrary to popular belief. He wasn't know. even a professional StarCraft player. Yeah. Holy Jeff shit. Kaplan, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Kaplan, please. Um, like, uh, so the, it's like, uh, it, so they're saying that uh, it's it's basically that she she's 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 a world champion professional gamer, but she's not like her best game is in StarCraft. Uh, but it didn't clarify, like, what game she she's, like, a pro at. But, like, she is a pro gamer. It's just not, like, it's not specifically StarCraft, right? Everybody assumed, I think, I think the problem was uh, everybody assumed it was StarCraft because she was Korean, right? Like, she, like obviously, she's, like, a pro gamer, so she's going to be playing StarCraft uh, in, in, in South Korea. So it's, like, that was, I guess, like, the Blizzard never clarified that. So it was, like... I mean, it's a Blizzard property, so it's, everybody assumed it's, it's going to be Scarecrow, but apparently not. So, so there's there's two things about this. One, for those of you who listened to us, not for Overwatch takes, this is about a game <laughs> called Overwatch, and Diva is a character in that game. Yeah, just I to clarify. <laughs> yeah. But also, as well, we now we need to just talk about who, what, or like who, what game is Diva actually the best at? And my my bet, my bet is Call of Duty Ghosts. <sighs> What if what if she was a pro uh, Counter Strike player? Ooh, ooh, I like that. I like that take. Okay, uh, wait, what wait, if, wait, wait, wait. What if she was a pro Smash player? Ooh, that's that. What if Street Fighter? Street Fighter. Wait, who who would she main in Smash? I I don't know. Kirby. I'm I'm Kirby. gonna say it now. Kirby. <laughs> Please it's, at Static. Static. <laughs> that's Static Safe at Mastodon Zombo Cloud for your opinions on that. Do not yeah. at me. But Kirby <laughs> is the best Smash player. Smash character. Um, in every Smash game. Oh God. Don't at me. That is once again. What is she, what? What she see? She's a pro Splatoon player. Ooh, wait, Splatoon one or two though. I, I mean, too. Diva, I mean, no, she's, no, no. she's got to keep up with the times. Diva you know? would be the kind of person to have a Wii U and a PC. Wait, do you think? Do you? Do you? Diva, of course, Diva has a Windows box, right? Yeah, for sure. But for sure, she is. AMD or, or Nvidia. What, what, what do you think she goes for her graphics? I, I feel like she plays to win, you know. So she, she's got to go with Nvidia. Like she, she Nvidia. She, she got the Titans. She that, got the Titan. The dual Titans. Um, she got the Intel. You know, G Sync. Yeah, she got the G-Sync monitor. She got the... She, do you think she has LEDs on her computer case? Pink LEDs, of course. Of course. Uh, why did I even Oh, my ask? God. Why Why hasn't Blizzard teamed up with Razer to make, like, an Overwatch or Diva-themed oh, no. laptop? Oh, no. It's the Razer logo. It's, like, the Diva bunny icon, and it's all oh, pink God. LEDs. Yeah. You know what's the worst part about this, too? I kind of would buy it, right? Like, I would, <laughs> I would, I would kind of fuck with that. <laughs> 
Uh, it sounds it sounds like an actual yeah just fuck it this is the brand synergy we need come on (laughs) razor give me a razor phone with some diva skins on it you know (laughs) oh my god imagine razor loot boxes oh no no please no physical loot boxes for computer parts that's absurd please please don't yeah oh oh man you know it's the best corporate synergy razor discord and blizzard and over in like a diva skin thing oh my god what if what if razor started making their phones like discord certified like like it would come with discord installed yeah like it would come with discord, and on the box it would say certified for discord Do you remember how things microphones used to be like certified for skype oh god jesus oh my god this is disgusting uh, I, I think this podcast disgusting. should be over. By the way, yeah, I think, like, I think okay. at this point, I think, it's yeah, time this to point, just I think we're just we're just <laughs> trash talking video game culture at this point. I think. Uh, so you can find me on Mastodon uh, at Static Safe at Mastodon.zomaclub.com and Christian. You can find me at Chosefine at Instance Business. You can find the show notes and contact links, contact info at Two Shades of Brown.com. And with that, goodbye. Bye.